Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The Drive Nation Podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. When I look back, Andrew, at the podcast that we've recorded so far, I see that we've done specials on McLaren Automotive, on Aston Martin, and on the Porsche 911 specifically. Kind of all quite top-endy stuff. So I wanted to address that and bring in some more real-world content to this podcast because actually those three podcasts that I've listed, they're not necessarily representative of the kind of cars that you and I write about, drive, um, the kind of cars that we own, the kind of cars that we scour obscure European classified websites for. Is that fair? Uh, more than, yeah. I mean, there's always this massive disparity, uh, never greater than within the realm of motoring journalism between, you know, the the, the, the presented sort of standard of living and, 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 and the actual reality. So we may spend our time, or at least some of our time, driving these um, amazing hypercars and, and so on and so forth. But actually, uh, A, because we can't afford anything else, but B, also because there is genuine proper interest um, down in the cheap seats. Uh, yeah, the cars that we uh, that we think about, and particularly the cars that we own, bear very, very little relationship to the cars that we tend to find ourselves writing about in print. Exactly. So one of the ways that we're going to bring in you know, some more real-world stuff is to talk about the cars that we've owned. That's what we're going to do with this podcast. Um, I mean, you've got a very long and colourful history. I'm not going to steal your thunder by doing this, um, Andrew, but, and I'm not going to mention the cars either, but you've sent me a list of all or most of the cars you've owned with a very brief sort of description. It's a potted history of your car ownership. And I just want to pull out a few highlights because it sets the scene um, for the next... 50 minutes or so. Um, okay. Spilt a pint of cream on the back seat, making it unsellable. Next one, written off by a motorbike. Next one, destroyed an RTA when I didn't see the car in front because I was fiddling with my new graphic equalizers. Next one, written off showing to mates at Goodwood. Never completed a journey without going wrong. Written off outside my flat. Disintegrated. And sort of on and on it goes. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, yes. Uh, this isn't necessarily sh- sh- showing me in the polished professional light <laughs> I, I, I like to be seen, but uh, by all means, proceed. Uh, well, I think that those are the highlights. Um, but, okay, well, I, I think we should start off um, at the beginning with your car ownership history, and we'll, 
we'll knock off some of the highlights and then I'll I'll get onto mine, which is sort of shorter and less colourful. But there yeah. are some highlights in there. Only because um, you're about a hundred years younger than me. Yeah, well, there, there is that. Uh, so should we should we start at the beginning at the top of my list? I've got a Fiat One Two Six. Oh yes, the smell. <laughs> That's what it was known as. All my friends, it wasn't known as a Fiat or a One Two Six or anything. It was just known as the smell. The smell. Uh, yeah. Um, it was, I mean, I'd, I'd been very lucky because where we grew up uh, was in the countryside and there was space and we actually had a couple of fields. Um, and um, so I actually, I actually owned a car, if you could, could call it that. I, I owned the remains of a Morris Minor, which just about functioned. Um, and when I could afford the petrol, I would just, um, from a very early age, just ride, drive, ride, drive round and round and round this field until eventually it, it died and wouldn't go again. Um, and, uh, and my father, who used to spend a lot of time away on business, um, he'd come back at the end of the week and just go to the Hertz desk and hire something um, and bring it home. It was always something cheaper, but it might be a Mark II Escort. And once it was an MG Midget um, and his idiot sons would just take this hire car and just drive it round and round and round these fields for the entire weekend. And he'd take what very little left was that back to uh, Hertz on Monday morning to get on the plane to go off to wherever he was going next. Um, and they never ever queried it um and the damage we did i can remember the midget it had these things which in the <laughs> in when this would have been i guess this would have been sort of late 70s early 80s it had these five mile an hour impact bumpers and the idea was you could drive it into anything at five miles an hour or less without damaging it and there were um sort of telegraph posts sort of going up and down the side of one of these fields so we'd literally spent the weekend driving it into these telegraph posts just to see whether we could damage it or not i mean <laughs> we behaved appallingly but yes uh, back to the smell the 126 this was a car that was given to my father by by somebody um uh, because they literally um a, a pint of cream had been upset on the back seat of this um, and had been allowed to soak into it um, and the stench was such that they realized the car was entirely unsaleable um, so they gave it to my father, who in turn um, said, if you can face the smell, you can, you can, you can drive this thing. Um, and, and as none of my mates had cars and I had a car, my idea was that, you know, the girls would find me much more interesting than them because I, I, I was mobile. I, I may have miscalculated somewhat in that regard. Uh, yeah, the, the reality of that? Yeah, the reality of that was that I, I was usually alone in the car. <laughs> Talk us through uh, how that thing smelt on a hot summer's day. Uh, well, it, it's surprising, actually. It had a sunroof and it had windows that wound down. And I, do you know, I didn't care. I mean, it's like all those things, isn't it? Do you ever walk through duty-free shops, the perfume bits, and just wonder how anybody could work in that smell? And the answer is you just get used to it. And I did. Uh, it just ceased to matter to me anymore. I mean, and compared to being able to get about, do my thing and, 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 and drive, you know, drive a car. I mean, who cares? Not me, certainly. What was the 126's fate? I drove it into a tractor. <laughs> Um, I, uh, yeah, what was I doing? Yes, there was a tight right-hand corner and I, I was taking the line um, and it was quite a big tractor and it was a low hedgerow so you would have thought I would have seen it but I didn't. Um, and uh, I think I was quite lucky actually because the tractor was quite a large, hard, heavy thing and, and, and the 126 was anything but those things and uh, yes, and it didn't even have an engine in the front so there was not a lot between it and my feet but uh, somehow I, I emerged from that unscathed. I imagine I got my feet out of the way from quite sharpish. So the car was off to the scrappy after that, was it? I, I, I don't remember anything of it after that, so I presume so, yeah. Okay, let's clip along nice and quickly then. Your first 2CV. Oh, yes. my first, Well, it wasn't my 2CV, it was actually my father's 2CV. I think he, I think he, he must have bought it to, uh, to replace the 126, although why he thought that was going to suffer any less undignified a fate than the 126, I, I, I can't imagine. Um, 
So that was, um, yeah, that was a lovely car, a 2CV6 Special. Um, specials are always the nicest 2CVs back then. Um, it was a car built in France, disc brakes, so the best sort of 2CV. Um, and it had a little bicycle speedometer, black roof, white car, beautiful thing. Uh, and I was, uh, I was racing, uh, I lived in Jersey at the time. And I was racing around the island to go and meet a mate for dinner. Uh, and at the end of uh, minor roads, they have these things called yellow lines, which are basically giveaway signs. Uh, and I, I somewhat missed my braking point. So I slid out into the major road. Um, unfortunately, at the same time, the bloke on a bike was coming down that main road. And literally, he literally just drove straight into the side of the 2CV. Um, and, uh, and I was haunted by the side of this bloke um, flying through the air and landing, so far as I could see, on his head. Um, and we shouldn't joke about this stuff because, you know, sadly, you and I both know people who yeah. have not survived things like that. Um, and I genuinely thought that I'd killed the bloke, but um, I couldn't get out of the driver's side because that was all buckled. So I kicked my way out the passenger door uh, and went over to him. Um, and to my utter surprise, he was not only alive, but he seemed to be kind of OK. Um, wow. and, in, and, and, and in Jersey, um, they have a thing called a parish hall inquiry, which is basically like a sort of local meeting before they decide whether whatever it is you've done wrong uh, needs to go to sort of proper big court. Um, and they can, uh, if it's very minor, they can deal with it there and then. Um, and so I sort of turned up at this thing uh, three or four days later. I was surprised to see the bloke turn up on the bike. <laughs> okay, the TCV was written off, destroyed, gone. But he literally, the bike had been off the road for three days at most, uh, which just tells you a little bit about how flimsy Citroëns were back then. Well, also, um, if, if he was hoping he'd be prosecuted, he didn't really do himself any favours there. He should have arrived limping, you know, out the back of a taxi or something. Yeah, but, I um, mean, you, know, you, like me, underestimated the bloke. He spoke in my defence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you he might just, say that. So he literally got there and he went, the lad made a mistake. Um, he's never going to do it again. He's been frightened completely witless. I think he suffered enough. Suffered enough. Um, and, you know, it, it was an enormous miscarriage of justice because if ever there was a case of dangerous driving, that was it. And I should have been nailed for it. In fact, yeah. I got fined £5 for failing to observe a yellow line. Oh, wow. And that was it. Well, um, but, oh, well, all credit to the motorcycle rider. All credit to the bloke. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. OK, well, th- uh, that's a good opportunity then to leap forward to the present day because despite everything uh, that you experienced back in Jersey in a 2CV, you, you adore those cars and you have one now. Uh, and, I, and I always have. Um, there is something, what is that phrase? Yeah, simplicity is genius, or genius is simplicity. Um, and if you look at that car, um, uh, everything from the flat formation engine to the, you know, not entirely un-McLaren-like interactive suspension, all-independent suspension on it, um, you know, the space, the lightness, um, I just get in those things. And on one level, it's kind of all I need a car to be. Um and it, my 2CV, which is very different to the 2CV I destroyed, but you know, I've, got a, I've got a very old one now, a 1958 car with a, um, it's a 12-horsepower 425cc engine. And Whoa, it, can barely, it, 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 it could barely get out of its own way. But, you know, um, I have had drives in 1,000-horsepower hypercars that I've enjoyed less than coming back from a pub in one of those. <laughs> I understand. I really yeah. do. I've never driven one. I've never driven one. What would I, what would I sort of experience? Um, I mean, they, they, they are quite a particular thing. They're not actually, those old ones are not particularly easy cars to drive because you've got to keep them on the boil. You've got and, to. And the technology you, is half a century old, more than. Yeah, but I mean, that's all right because, you know, the pedals are where you expect them to be. And OK, the gear lever goes in and out uh, rather than sort of up and down. But, it's, you know, that bit, it's not difficult. It's just, 
it's keeping it smooth um, and keeping it and keeping it mobile and just in. But it, it teaches you how to drive well because it teaches you to carry speed. I mean, every mile an hour is kind of you know it's hard earned and preciously protected. Um, and so yeah, you, 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 it kind of makes you think about driving, um, and that's one of the things I love about it. Someone posted a photo on Twitter the other day of a two CV at dawn in the countryside it looks like it might well be french countryside i think it's a ripple bonnet car um it's a misty morning there are chickens yeah. pecking around and, it was... the, and, and, the, and the boots up is that is, is yeah. that the one yeah, yeah it's yeah. beautiful it's just tells such a lovely story you just want to be there don't you you just yeah. want to be there i mean i i wish i could communicate better what is so wonderful about those things i mean i i, I haven't um i have a very old uh, not quite as old, but nearly as old, Fiat 500, which is a really, really nice thing. Uh, it's a very clever car, um, and it's good fun to drive. Um, but it's not the 2CV. I, I, I don't know why, uh, what it is about 2CVs, but you know, if, if there's one car I own today, which I know I'll never sell, it's that. I'm surprised. Um, I, I knew you had a, a Fiat. I think I've seen you, not driving it, I've seen you um, at, a, at a pub with it. But uh, it's amazing to me that you fit. You're a tall guy. Yeah, but you know, well, hey, I'm very used to folding myself up to get into to, to, to get into cars, and you know, and let's not forget, you know, the Fiat Hundred that uh, that I have today is not even a particularly distant relative of the Fiat One Two Six that I crashed, whatever it was, thirty seven years ago. Um, so yeah, and and also these things are remarkably space efficient. You know, they don't have these enormous seats in them. They don't have massive A, B, or C pillars. Um, you know, everything is is small. Everything you know, there's not an engine in front of you, so your legs can go there. Yeah. And it's um, you know, you'd be surprised. You you know, people go on about the incredible space efficiency of the Mini, but you know, the Fiat Five Hundred was out first and was a much smaller car and would take just as many people in probably the same amount of discomfort. Yeah, cars like that, they make a really good case for putting the engine way out back, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if yeah. that'll ever catch on. Um, nah, doubt it. <laughs> okay, right, let's get back to uh, your, the list of cars that you've owned. I want to hear about the MG Metro uh, and your new graphic equalizers. Oh, the MG Metro, yeah. Um, yeah, um, so I don't want to get more, but I actually inherited that from a, from, from a fairly close relative who, uh, who, who died before her time. Um, and uh <laughs> yes i mean it was it i mean for, for me i mean by my standards this was this this was a fast car um you know it actually would certainly indicate 100 miles an hour which you know if you've grown up on you know fit 126s and um two cvs uh, is you know probably 40 miles an hour faster than you've ever seen anything go in your life um and it 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 handled quite well and everything else and but i mean as all young idiots did back in the whenever it was um you know in the 1980s you know your music machine was almost as important as the car um and uh i, I just i was obsessed with graphic equalizers and i didn't have any um <laughs> but there was a company called Sparkomatic um that used to make very cheap sets of graphic equalizers which had lots and lots of flashing lights and levers that went up and down and the only place uh, i could see to sort of mount it was underneath the dashboard of this thing um, and so it was while I was ferreting around under said dashboard with my graphic equalizers that the car in front stopped. Um, and yeah, the first I knew of the accident was when I hit the car in front. There weren't, I, I, I didn't even see it, let alone have time to brake for it. And um, yeah, sadly, that was the end of the Metro. Um, but all this, okay, I, I would just say for Go anybody on. who's jumping to conclusions about me and my <laughs> lamentable lack of driving skills and, 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 and appalling approach to safety on the open road, all these accidents. So the Metro, the 2CV and the Fiat, all three of them all happened within a year of me passing my test. 
honest gov. That first year, yeah. pro- probably the most dangerous one. Yeah, yeah. It, hearing all these stories just makes me think that when I was 17 or 18, I wasn't trying hard enough. I didn't get up Very to any possible. of that stuff. You know, did you, so, 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 so how old were you when you first crashed a car? Well, You're not, you're it, not telling me you haven't crashed anything. No, no, I have. I mean, it's, it's debatable, really, what counts as a crash. I think we've said this before. If you can drive away from it, I'm not sure it really is a crash. <laughs> um, and, and even if you have to be towed out by a farmer's Defender 90, you, you know, if you can drive away from that, I, I don't think that counts. I've, I've had only one that really uh, destroyed the car, um, and it wasn't actually my fault. Uh, so, you know, I'm, touch wood... Yeah, I don't have any tales like that to tell. No, well, good. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're great fun in the telling, but then they're not much fun in the experiencing. So I no. keep it like that. Yeah, I'll do my best. Okay, well, I remember a few months ago on Drive Nation at Drive Nation underscore on Instagram. Go and check it out. Um, you wrote a very sort of insightful post about the car that you learned to drive in. Yeah. Not, not the one that you passed your test in or that you did your lessons with, with your instructor, but the one that you really learned to drive in. And that for you was a 205 GTI. Yeah, it was. Uh, so this would have been 1985. So I would have been 20. Um, and because I, uh, I was too thick and lazy to get um, any A-level grades worthy of the mention. I never got to go to anything as posh as a university. Um, so I just went out and got a job. Uh, and the only job um, that I thought I could do and was able to get was uh, was in the city. Um, and, and I was I had a few city jobs and I was useless and got fired from all of them. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but, but for a little bit, I had a tiny bit of money. Um, and so I went and spent, I think it was £6,495 on a brand new 205 GTI, which, which you won't remember because you weren't even alive. But... Uh, then it was absolutely the thing because it yeah, had always. You, you must have been the proudest man on earth. Oh well, I mean, I mean, you can imagine. I was, I was, I was. Oh God, I mean, I, I shot the thing how young I was. I was nineteen or twenty, I guess. Um, and yeah, I, I had a brand new two hundred five GTI, uh, and, and up until that time, it had always been. It had been all about the golf, hadn't it? I mean, the golf was the thing, and then things like. Um, what came along I mean, there was the Astra wasn't there and there was that hot 130TC uh, Fiat and that sort of thing but the 205 came along and it just rewrote everything um, and so I, I went and got one of these things um, and I drove it about the place and I thought it was all rather good fun um, and then my I think my oldest brother um, told me about a track day going on at this place called Goodwood which was then pretty much a derelict site you know former um, racetrack but um, you know nothing had raced there for 20 years um and you know a few cars had done testing down there but anyway i went down there in my 205 to drive around a racetrack in uh for the very first time and i went um i think someone must have showed me around the track but the first time i ever drove on the track i went out the pit lane um screamed up to the first corner turned in and spun (laughs) (laughs) oh if only we had gopros and camera phones back then and I just didn't understand it. One moment I was going around the corner, the next moment I was I, I was seeing my tire tracks. I, I, I was facing the way I can, and it, and it was it was unintelligible to me. I didn't, you know, I thought something must have broken on the car, um, and <laughs> so uh, uh, or maybe I'd hit some oil or something. So I tried it again in another corner and spun again. Uh, and, and what I was doing was I was going in very fast, and then thinking, oh, I'm going in a bit fast, and so I'd try and slow down, which which, which is never a particularly good idea in a two or five GTI, particularly if you were doing sort of eighty nine miles an hour and you hit the brakes. Um, and um, uh, yeah, so what I did that that all rather sort of cowed me, and I didn't do much the rest of that day. 
Um, but then I can remember talking to my brother who he was racing alphas and that sort of thing at the time um, and doing quite well. Um, and he said, you need to go and understand car control. And, you know, I can tell you what to do and everything else, but you'll never um, understand it better if you go and see for yourself. So all you need to do is go and find a big roundabout somewhere very quiet and just drive, you turn into the roundabout at a sensible speed, um, apply whatever you think is the right amount of lock, uh, and then go around the roundabout, just coming on and off the throttle and see what happens. So I thought, all right. And there was, um, well, there still is a big roundabout underneath the Westway um in london and i went up there at two in the morning um and there was nothing around and that's where i learned how to drive and that's where i learned about you know controlling a car on the throttle and what i didn't realize you didn't have to be you know on the limit or anything you could just drive this car around constant steering constant throttle and then if you accelerated a bit it would peel away from the apex and if you lifted off a bit it would bite back in and this was just like a complete revelation to me Mm. um and yeah i mean that i've always thought of that I mean, before that, I had operated cars, but yes. you know, in that car at that roundabout is where I learned how to drive. Yeah, it's such a distinction, isn't it? Yeah, completely. Uh, um, well, Goodwood in in your sort of potted car history is a bit of a running theme uh, because we come on to the Caterham <laughs> Seven Super Sprint. Yes. Okay. So um, yeah. So so one side one side. I, I sort of forget the chronology. I, tried, I have to try to work out which cars came when. But um, I think that once I'd worked out how to control a little hatchback going around a roundabout, I clearly concluded that I was um, you know, a world-class driver. Yeah, exactly. So I could go and get myself a proper sports car. Um, and I was still sort of in the city at the time. And I'd always been, and, and remain to this day, um, obsessed with caterums. Uh, I, I just, I can remember... You know, one of the my earliest memories of, of of any car is just walking down a pavement with my father and seeing what would have then been a Lotus Seven, just coming down the street beside me. And it wasn't going fast or anything dramatic, but I just remember seeing that shape and seeing how low it was, and seeing how wide it was, and just thinking, "That's just it. That is just what where I want to be." Um, and it kind of has been ever since. Um, so anyway, uh, I went and bought this um, uh, Caterham Seven Super Sprint, which was. It had a Ford uh, Crossflow 1700 engine in it, so yeah, standard 1600 engine, bought out to 1700, couple of big Webers on the side, 135 horsepower, probably 500 kilos, live axle, um, you know, old spec, tall sidewall tyres, um, and I went back to Goodwood for another track day. But obviously, knowing uh, all I knew at that stage, then you know I was going to be a complete driving legend. And I, 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 so confident was I, I brought all my mates with me, um, and and they were standing in the pits looking down at the chicane when I decided to show them how to drive a car. Um, and uh, yeah, I just trod a bit too hard. And uh, that was the end of the K-Trim. I, I, I went backwards into the earth bank on the outside of the, uh, of, of the chicane. Um, so hard, it had a little roll cage um, that when my head went back, it split the helmet I was wearing. Um, so you can imagine if that had been my skull. Um, and yeah, very sad. I love that car um but um i'm not actually sure if it was written off what i what what i was sure was that i couldn't afford to repair it and so i, I sold the wreck back to caterham it may be out there somewhere oh wow the b858 <laughs> nph i think um i've never looked it up i should do i suspect it's not because i suspect they threw it away but uh yeah that's job one after we finish recording this podcast then exactly um just as a, a brief aside can you kind of paint a picture of what goodwood was like at that time because clearly racing had long since stopped um you know uh, contemporary racing had long long since stopped there and historic racing um was a long way off 
starting again. So I think you said it was a, a kind of tumble down, scruffy old circuit. It was. It was. It was. It was. You, you, you put it very well. It was a tumble down, scruffy old circuit. But and this is where I admire what uh, the Duke of Richmond and his team have done. Um, you know, you go to the facility today. Um, where such an enormous amount of money has been spent over time uh, and it's such a hallowed place now. But you know what? You get on the track and you drive around it and it's the same thing that I drove around in the mid-80s and it's the same thing that people drove around in the 40s, 50s and 60s. You know, it just, it, it, in the only regard, frankly, that actually matters, which is as a thing to drive around, as a challenge to a driver, it is now what it's always been. And I think that, you know, how many other circuits can say that? Um, you it's know, so special, it's, isn't it? Approximately none, really. Uh, it is so special. You're absolutely right. Okay, uh, right back to the car history then. Um, I, I think this was another City Boy purchase of yours. Oh uh, God, the Lotus Esprit S3. The S3. <laughs> See, I don't know why, but I have such fond memories of these cars. And you know, the S3 in particular was an unmitigated disaster. I, no, I think nothing I said, heals I, quite like time. No, well, you're, you're, I bought it from a bloke called Barry. In the Fulham Road. Um, and I'm not going to go into numbers now because however many decades later, I'm still genuinely ashamed of this. But I spent a huge amount of money I didn't have on it. Um, and I guess I was just some young idiot who... I'd love to say it was because I was, I was, you know, I, I was so into the purity of the driving experience. But the fact is, I just wanted to show off to girls. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I bought this thing. Um, so it was an X-plate. I probably bought it in 86. So it was four years old. It had done 30,000 miles. And it, it, it was a ruin before I got in it. Uh, I think I said in my notes to you that it never completed a journey without going wrong. Now, I don't know that's strictly true. I might, it might have gone to the shops and got back without going. But it certainly never con- completed a, a, a journey of, of, of any note, I let's say, of more than 20 miles without something going wrong sometimes it would be a little thing like one of the headlights lights would just sort of start winking at passers-by um sometimes it was side of the road you know call the recovery guys um and it always it never ever failed to let me down and i just <laughs> loved it i just absolutely loved that car and years and years and years later i drove another um and sometimes when you go and drive cars from your youth you get in them and you just think what on earth was i fussed about what a pile of whatever this is and it wasn't it was still a lot i mean yeah i mean it's still morris marina door handles and and everything else but as a thing to drive it was just lovely and i'm sure if i drove one now i think the same way they were the most exquisitely balanced cars um and yeah i loved it um and what what was the engine in yours it was a 160 horsepower 2.2 non-turbo just the sort of standard lotus twin cam straight four of, of, of that era um i didn't i i couldn't afford a turbo but i actually i didn't want one um because um i, I just didn't like the noise that they made didn't like the 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 the, the, the turbo lag and everything else and, and and an s3 was was everything you still got the you know the big bbs gold and silver alloys and the big fat tires which you got with the turbo so you know that was fine by me um okay but back to the most important point what did the girls make of it actually mm, well it's possible I was growing up a bit. I, 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 I suspect not. But I should probably shouldn't. It, it appeared to make a bit of a difference. Oh. <laughs> um, oh. Yes, I, I, I certainly didn't. Spend, I, I certainly spent less time alone in that than I did in the one two six. Well, there we go. Oh, the the spree worked for you then. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, let's to, to to a limited, rather modest extent. But yeah, <laughs> I guess. Okay, I'm just going to run through the remainder of your list, and I think we should pick out two or three. 
to to have a chat about. You've got a a Mark One Golf GTI, a Renault yeah. Five GT Turbo, yeah. a Porsche Nine Nine Three RS, yes. um, a Chevrolet Chevrolet Camaro race car, yes, Caterham Superlight R. Got it. Yes. goes on and on your list. Aston yeah. Martin DB Two Four Mark Three, yes, an Alvis C- Silver Eagle, yes. Land Rover, God, this list is endless. Land Rover Series 3, Porsche, Porsche 911 2.7 rep. Yep. Uh, and the other ones we've discussed. So, wh- which ones are sort of closest to your heart of that lot? Well, blimey, that's a question. Um, I mean, okay. Uh, the thing is that I, I, I think there must be a little shard of something I, I see in my in, 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 in my in my brain because although I, I look back with such immense fondness on all these cars, I, there aren't that many that I wish I hadn't. Well, I wish I hadn't crashed all of them, but I, 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 there aren't many I wish you know that I I sit here thinking, oh, why did I sell that? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, the, the nine nine three RS for one. You know, that was that was a great car, but. You know, because of the way you and I earn our, earn our livings, you don't get time to drive those sorts of cars. Which is why, well, finance being one, but practicality being another, the reason that I just own cheap old sheds now is because you know you can just jump in them and take them to the pub. You don't sort of think, oh god, what's the point of having this car? Because if you don't do more than 150 miles in it, um, I got, I've completely forgotten the car wasn't on the list. I had a 968 Club Sport until quite recently, oh, of course. I, I, and I sold that for exactly. You know, I sold that for that reason. I sold the 2.7 replica for that reason. I sold the nine, the 993 RS. I can remember going to it. It must have been in sort of March or April time, um, and seeing that the clock was still set to British summer time, um, and thinking, well, what is the point of having this thing? And these cars, the Aston was. I mean, the Aston was a beautiful car, um, and maybe I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, but you know, once I got this job, you just can't drive cars like that. So, 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 so they went. Um, I think the one that I do regret, I do really regret selling, is the Superlight R. So this was a, I think it would be called an R four hundred or something similar today. So it was, you know, this was twenty years ago, um, and it was a car that I spec'd myself. It's it's probably the only car. Uh, just any cars I've actually bought new. So the Peugeot I bought new, and I think that might be the only other one. Um, and I sat down with Jez Coates, who was at Caterham at the time. He was their sort of chief engineer. And, you know, I'm quite a big lad. And so I had, I didn't even have a seat. I had a moulding, which not only meant I'd be really comfortable, but also meant nobody else could drive the car, which was like a sort of, you know, you know, absolute, you know, slam dunk for me. Um, and, you know, I, I, it, it was a black car with a yellow stripe. Then Caterham had never done one of those before. They did plenty after. Um, and it was just fabulous. It was, you know, I used to chase Harris out to the Nürburgring in it and go round and round and round. Uh, it was faultlessly reliable. I, it, it spent so much time on tracks. It had those wonderful Avon ACB 10 tyres on it, or wonderful in the dry. So, you know, you could drive around the outside of most things on it. And yeah, I just have, I just have feelings of unalloyed joy about that. And, and, and the sad thing is, I can't even remember why I sold it. It may be somebody made me an offer. I know that it was... In fact, I drove it again after it... I, drew, I went to... So I was at a, a spa on a track down. I just saw it there. The bloke came up to me and said, would you like a go? So I did, and it was just brilliant. Um, yeah, I really, really missed that car. Um, and if I think about all the cars that I haven't got in my shed right now, I think more about Caterham's than anything else. That's really interesting. So you found you had some more more utility for that car than the 993 RS? Yeah, because, you know, because... <sighs> 
the 993 RS, actually, I sold that to Finance Racing. So I sold the 993 because uh, my brother and I wanted to go um, historic racing and we wanted to buy something that was really powerful and rear wheel drive um, and uh, the, for which the bits were cheap. And back then, probably still today, that all added up to a Camaro. Um, so, but, you know, I couldn't afford that and have the, uh, the 993. So I sold that, um, but I wasn't using it, but I did use the Caterham because I don't know, I mean, the, the, the Caterham was just great, whatever you did with it. I mean, it had proper weather equipment in it and, 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 and you didn't sort of feel that you had to drive it. You know, the 993, you felt you kind of like had to drive it across Europe or at least to the North of England before you could justify getting it out of the shed. Whereas the Caterham was just one of those cars. That's why I want another now because I just know I'd use it and really, really yeah. enjoy it. Yeah, I'm going to have to stop myself going and buying one after this conversation. <laughs> it's going to be a costly podcast for us both. It um, may be. <laughs> now, bearing in mind that we were supposed to be keeping this real world, yes. <laughs> can you tell us briefly about that Aston Martin you owned? <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, well, actually, it was real world in that I didn't pay a lot of money for it, which is, of course, the most stupid thing anybody can do with an Aston Martin. Um, it was, you know, I, I, I should have seen the warning signs. You know, I was a motoring journalist at the time. I'd reasonably experienced um but i just became i was really into the the aston martins that they built in felton before they moved to newport pagnell to do the famous cars the db456 and so on um and before that it was all db2 based cars um and the ultimate of those cars was this thing called it's got quite a tortuous name called db24 mark 3 some people call it a db3 at which stage people who know aston martin's steam start coming coming out of their ears because a db3 was something else altogether um but it was it was it was just sort of this doesn't sound terribly sexist a sort of a proper sort of gentleman sports car um and it was a much i mean the later astons were all much more sort of in the grand touring thing but this was a proper sports coupe um and 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 hand built even in a way that um you know the later newport pagnell cars weren't and it was just the most i love the way that it looked it had that wonderful wo bentley designed straight six twin cam engine in it um and it was you know the, the 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 entire plan was perfect apart from the fact that it was just the wrong car um it you know there was a reason it was cheap it was shot to pieces um and you know it overheated and things fell off it and it started to corrode and um yeah it's sad really because it was a lovely lovely thing and um it is it, probably no scratch that is the most special car i have owned um but um, I can remember the relief when there was actually there was a, a, a German banker came over for some reason um, and bought it. And I can remember the relief um, I felt when he just sort of drove it um, away and thinking, thank goodness for that, because it was bleeding me. Why I wasn't. I was too frightened to use it anymore. And it, it just needed to go somewhere else. And he, he actually blew it up completely on the way home. He didn't seem to mind because he was going to give it a nut and bolt restoration, which I think it's had. And, um, you know, it's, it's gone to a much better home than I was ever able to give it. Now that's a very cool thing to have in your back catalogue, though. A, a really special DB2 for Aston Martin. Yeah, no, it was good. Um, okay, now I, I, I think last one from your side, Andrew. I want to hear about your Series Three Land Rover because it's parked outside your house now, um, and it's also the car that you passed your driving test in in 1982. Yes, it is. Um, so you, you'll you'll never get rid. No, no, no. I can't. I said, I said earlier in this podcast that the two CV is the car, the, the only car I'll never sell. But um, I don't really feel the Land Rover is mine. It's the one thing that is, you know, very much. It's hardly an heirloom, but it's certainly it's certainly a family car. Um, in that, 
you know, my father bought it because he had three idiot sons all learning to drive at approximately the same time. And he just wanted the slowest, strongest thing that money could buy. Um, and that's he wasn't a farmer or anything else. He didn't, you know, he didn't buy it for any of the reasons that most people buy Land Rovers. He just wanted something incredibly slow and incredibly strong. Um, and, and that was it. And so, um, yeah. And so, you know, you know, um, you know, the Fiat 126 was sort of my car, but the Land Rover was the car in which I, I learned how to drive, um, on the road and I passed my test in it. Um, and then when my father passed away 20 years ago, um, 23 years ago, um, I, uh, I, I had it and, and I've still got it. And, and the thing about it is it's not, uh, it's not kept really as a like as, as the others as a sort of recreational take to the pub type car. It's, it, it works, you know. I, I have a few sheep and it carts them around, and um, you know I, I I need to move quite a lot of wood from place to place every so often, so it does that. Um, when you know I filled it up with with rubbish from fields the other day, I mean it's just a working Land Rover. Um, and of course where I live, which is quite remote, um, you know every so often you know the snow comes. And, and it's really, really interesting when that happens because all the guys with their brand new Range Rovers, you, you can't, you know, they, they just disappear. They don't exist. Um, and all the people who've got Defenders and Series Land Rovers hidden away in sheds, which don't usually come out in the summer, suddenly that's all you see on the roads. Um, and, and I love that. I just love that. I love, you know, in, in, being out in the snow in, 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 the, in the Land Rover is, uh, is a great joy to me. I've got no desire to track down and own the VW Polo TDI that I passed my driving test in. Oh, 1.4 TDI? Oh, yes. Fantastic. Turbo, presumably. <laughs> Absolutely. Probably felt quite quick, didn't it? <laughs> it did, felt, yeah, very talky. Quite, yeah. It felt quite punchy. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, okay, well, b- right. We're going to move on to my cars now. But before we do that, I just want to ask you if you remember back in the day, uh, when it was new, or perhaps you know, a few years after, do you remember test driving a pop-up headlight Nissan 200SX? Oh God, yes. And what did you what do you think of it? What do you remember of it? Uh, going sideways. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> to oversteer, just um, just you know, uh, uh, yeah, I did a group test with that, a Celica and a Volkswagen Corrado for auto car. And the Corrado won it because it was um, it was just the most capable car and a really good fun to, car to drive, um, but. You know, if you just want to go and have a laugh, um, pop up headlight two hundred SX. I think I think the one after that was even was even more Larry. But yeah, you could just you, you just went sideways in it. Terrific thing. Is is, is is that one of your early conquests? That's exactly well. Yeah, the going sideways is exactly what I had in mind. So <clears throat> I was eighteen years old, and I'd been given eighteen hundred quid for my eighteenth birthday. Wow. Um, and obviously, being a car obsessed idiot, I went and spent more or less every penny of it on a car. Um, I day to day I actually shared a, a new a modern Ford Focus with my mum so I could go and buy something that I actually didn't have to depend on day to day so I I went and bought <clears throat> this S13 I think is the correct code name pop-up headlight Nissan 200SX in very dark blue um, it had done a few miles but it was it was actually a really lovely car and right can, from the can, off, can, I, can you remember the essential sort of stat? I'm just trying to remember. Was it, was it a two liter turbo or something like that? It may, maybe it's a 1.8 turbo. Yeah, um, but it was 170 what, 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 odd horsepower. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, which, I which, 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 blimey! I mean, that's more power than I ever had when I was 18 years old. Well, it, I'd I have mean, been backwards <laughs> to a hedge in that in a, in, a, in a heartbeat. Well, I mean, I have to fess up here and now that I barely drove the thing. It's a, it's a sorry tale. This I'm not proud. <laughs> But it's a it's a reasonably entertaining story. Um, so I, I bought this car with um, this sort of half 
arsed intention of turning it into a track car. Um, and so I bought the wrong car from the off because it was too nice to, you know, to be messed about with like that. Um, and the, the, the fact of the matter is I, I could, I couldn't afford to insure it. And I knew that was the case, but I, I still went ahead and bought the car cause I was a total idiot. And I just thought that's fine. It can sit outside my parents' house and I'll slowly turn it into a track car and then I'll find a way to drive it on circuit. You know, that was, that was my master plan for this thing. Um, and I, I, without a, the first idea of how to go about doing these things, I basically spent one summer's afternoon stripping out this lovely immaculate interior and hacking away at all the sound deadening that was, you know, sort of glued to the shell. Um, uh, had you done, had you done any sort of um, courses or anything to qualify you for, 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 for preparing a car for track use? No. Is that, is there such a thing? Well, you, I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, basic sort of, you know, a bit of mechanical engineering. Or something. So you just decide you're going to attack your car. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, ha- I didn't have the first clue. Someone, uh, my friends at the time and even now find this whole story hilarious. So if they're listening, yeah. Did, 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 um, you, have a t- did you have a toolkit? Um, part, ah, not really. You, you weren't sort of using a bread knife? And that. <laughs> <laughs> well, possibly. No, I, I think I, we had like a socket set and stuff for removing, you yeah. know, the rear seats and seat belts and so on. Um, but... Yeah, I, I didn't. I did not have the first clue what I was doing with this thing, um, and I, I stripped it out, as I said, and I bought. Oh God! I bought this enormous, <laughs> big bore sort of free flowing exhaust, Good which lad. sounded awesome. I have no no idea what it did to back pressure, but it sounded fantastic. Um, pro- pro- probably not a very good thing, but yeah, exactly. Although the way it sounded, I was delighted. Yeah, um, and I think I bought some springs and dampers for it, and maybe some. Uprated brake pads. I I don't know. I, it it was. A, and, and did you did did you fit all that stuff yourself? No, no, good. No, I I, I can't remember what I did end up fitting. I, the, the the exhaust certainly went on, but I I actually can't remember about the rest of the stuff. If I even got round to doing it, um, I I probably only drove the car twenty miles or something in the whole time I had it. <laughs> Fifteen hundred quid on it, and a load of money on other stuff, <laughs> and. Oh God! And, it, and it, it sat outside my parents' house. I probably had it for maybe eighteen months or something, maybe two years. Sat outside my parents' house for that whole time, um, and it, it gradually the interior gradually grew mouldy. Um, it was su- it was such a such a pity. And I eventually um, I had to just sell it. I, mean, I wasn't doing anything with it. There was a few hundred quid in it, so I sold it for probably half the money I bought for it for. Um, and it was gone. Less, and, you, you, plus, plus the amount of money that you spent on exactly. it. Exactly. Well, exactly. So, it was uh, utterly, have, utterly hopeless. Have you ever worked out to yourself, and I suggest if you haven't, don't, but have you ever worked out what its actual cost per mile completed has been, been to you? No, I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, please don't please don't do it on the hoof now because it'll just upset me <laughs> no, but, could, could someone please do it okay uh, uh, 1800 quid i think you spent you spent about the same again so let's say it stands in your book three and a half grand okay and you did 20 miles in it it, it wasn't it wasn't i spent 1500 quid on the car and a few hundred quid on bits and pieces so okay it's not quite that much but okay well it, call, it, call it a couple of grand for 20 miles that's 100 quid a mile it's 100 mate. quid a mile oh, well, thanks <laughs> i thought we weren't going to do that <laughs> sorry <laughs> oh, that's a pitiful return, isn't it? Oh, oh dear. I've, yeah, I've probably someone, done something al- almost as bad myself at some stage. Someone once described it as the kind of misguided enthusiasm that car enthusiasts should applaud. And I think I think that that's maybe charitable, but 
sort of fair enough. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, but it, it, I, I feel more upset about the whole thing now than I did back at the time when I was 18 or 19 because you just can't find these things for sale anymore. No, they've all and, gone, haven't they? Yeah, and if you find one, it's been really sort of distastefully modified. Um, and finding a, a really tidy, clean car like the one I had for you know about a week before i started hacking away at it is is just impossible now yeah and it's all down to people like you it's all down to people like me oh god it is your fault ah i'm surprisingly sort of morose about this whole thing (laughs) (laughs) i wasn't wasn't expecting that oh god okay um oh i feel equally sad about the, the the car that i owned after that was gifted to me by my granddad which is a very very sweet thing for him to have done um although it was a voxel vectra automatic oh my god and you're you're owning up to that on this podcast that's i mean i knew you're brave dan but i mean that's that, that's a new level oh god I, I didn't keep it that long that was a that was a sorry sorry I mean, can, can you think of you remember when when clarkson um reviewed the vector on top gear yeah and he did an entire review and no, he did the entire review i don't think he actually I, I literally he didn't say a word it was a silent review oh <laughs> can you think of can you think of do you i'm about to ask you had any memories i mean is there anything about it which was remotely memorable uh the most memorable part about the whole ownership experience was when i went to collect it from my granddad um and he was talking me through all the controls this is how you indicate right this is how you indicate like yes granddad i've got that and he he went down to the automatic gear selector uh and he said you got park reverse neutral drive and this button with s which i knew uh was for snow you know if it's snow he'd press that button and it would um hopefully allow you to get rolling and he said this is s for if you want a speedy getaway <laughs> launch control for an automatic vector <laughs> so that was brilliant i remember that bit quite fondly but uh the the car was hopeless and so yeah i mean to my eternal shame i i i've had my name on the v5c of a a voxel vectra yeah uh, which means i I wouldn't be owning up to that no um okay so after that i had a an e36 bmw 318is which i liked but the car was a total dog i bought badly um which is a bit of a running theme actually and yeah, I good, had a lot good, of fun. good good car in theory though yeah i had a lot of fun in that car um it you know it was a, a, a bmw so it's rear wheel drive i think the yeah the well no not the first one i had because i had the 200 sx of course but the first one first rear drive car that i used regularly um yeah. and i i learned a lot in that car you know i i enjoyed driving it in the rain and just feeling um feeling the car move around a little bit um the nice engine too in those as well well not the one i had because i had to stop it <laughs> <laughs> the engine the engine blew so i had to put a new one in and that actually that that was that was nice but the the car was sadly just a bit of a pup um but i i had a lot of fun in it after that i had a, a mini cooper s um a very early r56 so the, one of the first of the turbocharged ones yeah um which was a nice car i just i had a great time charging around in that thing um and i had it for probably a year year and a half like, so what sort, of, what, what sort of year would that have been that, that when a, it was built? It's a 2007 car. Yeah. VU07 NMK. There you go. It's weird how we remember these things, isn't it? Yeah. They're good cars, those. Um, and then 
from there, I've owned a couple of other bits and pieces, nothing worth really discussing. But from there, we kind of get to the car I have now, the Alpine A110, um, which is, that's kind of worth talking about for a few minutes. Andrew, you did the media launch for the A110 down in down in, in France somewhere, wasn't it? I actually didn't do that launch, but can you sort of set the scene? It was on a, a weird circuit that I've never heard of before. Yeah, I still can't remember its name. Um, uh, so, I mean, it, it was... I mean, obviously, there'd been a lot of hype about it. I mean, we'd known about the existence of the car for but it was probably five years because it surfaced originally, as you will remember, as a sort of JV with, with Caterham. Uh, and, then, and then it went its separate ways and, and, and everything else. Um, and I think, it's, it's, I think I've talked about car park cars on this podcast before. If I haven't, I've done it on, uh, on Drive Nation and Instagram. Um, and, and what I mean by a car park car is it's a car you get in and before you're out of the car park, you know that today is going to be a different day. Um, there is something about, even at the first possible experience at very low speeds, it's about the way the car addresses the road, the way that it steers, the way that it feels. You just think, wow, okay, this is different. Okay, this you've got my attention, and I'm not even on the public road yet. Um, and so, I, and I just remember driving and just thinking... I mean, it, there is a reason it is the only car that Drive Nation has ever awarded 10 stars to, because uh, if, for those of you um, who may not be completely familiar with um, how we review cars on Drive Nation, largely because we've not been able to review any for the last 10, 12 weeks, um, you know, we don't offer stars uh, in the same way that others do, in that you know, if it's the best in the class, it gets the maximum. We don't do that. If it's the best in this class, it'll get 9 out of 10. If it's really, really good, it'll get 8. And if it's you know, pretty impressive, it'll get 7. To get 10, you need to change the game. You know, being the best isn't good enough. And the only one that I've driven in the nearly two years we've been doing DN is the A110. And I drove it on, this, um, on, the, on a fantastic route through France. And then we got to this really tight, twiddly little circuit. Um, and I can just remember having all the fun in the world. It was, it was, it was, it was wet, which helped. Um, and yeah, the balance of the car, the feel of the car. Um, and you know, it basically, it just took me back to all those things that I loved about driving cars from the get go, regardless of how expensive they are, regardless of what the badge on the front is, you know, regardless of how much horsepower the engine has. It's just about feel and balance and the joy of driving. And you know, and of all the cars that I've driven the last couple of years, it's the A110 that expresses those feelings best um and i'm not jealous at all that you've got one <laughs> well i clearly agree with everything you say there which is why i do own one i've got my thunder gray a110 pure outside and it's it's a gorgeous little thing um but <clears throat> i actually drove the a110 for the first time something like 12 months maybe even 18 months before that international media launch um i was at evo at the time and alpine wanted to get a small group i think maybe only three or four journalists to come and drive it um, over a period of time. So we go and drive it 18 months out from the launch, 12 months, six months, and get a feel for how the car is progressing. Um, that must have been a fantastic thing to do. It was superb. So I yeah. I first drove it when it was a long, long way from finished. Um, and I'd, I was totally underwhelmed by it. Really? <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think back now, and I'd... I'd you know, the, the guys at Alpine, uh, David Tuig and the rest of the engineers, um, they just said, be completely honest. And I, I now feel guilty for how hard I went in on the car. Um, well, you're probably the reason it's so good now. Well, you know, I'd, I was honest, at least. Um, we were, so we're driving a convoy in some, on some 
quite narrow but really good mountain roads uh, just outside of Barcelona, I think. Um, did, uh, sorry to interrupt. Did you have sort of rivals with you? Did you have a Cayman with you and that sort of thing? Or was it, were you all just in, no. in A110 prototypes? It was all A110s, but the lead car was a Megan 275 Trophy R. Uh-huh. Um, and I said to them, frankly, guys, I, I would have rather been driving the Megan. <laughs> and they they took it on the chin fair play to them they, they they took it on the chin and wanted to hear why i said that um and the, the the issues were i mean basically we were fundamentally there to sort of think about the chassis that's what they really at that stage wanted us to you know, you know talk to them about sure um but the engine was so flat and the gearbox sort of so hesitant um that it, it was impossible you know, to overlook all that stuff. And yeah. uh, I remember the paddle shift as well was so spongy and, and weird, um, like squeezing a liver. That's, that's the image nice. that came to mind. And I, oh, this is my little claim to fame. I've said this so many times, but I'll say it once more. Um, I said to the guys that I thought it was too spongy. It should be more clicky, more switch-like. Um, and they had actually signed it off already. That You know, they thought that, was, that bit was all finished. And... Whether or not this is true, I don't know. But David is David Tuig is sort of generous enough to insist that it is true. On the back of what I said, they went back to their supplier and said, "Okay, we need to change the feel of the paddle shift and make it more clicky." There um, you go. And now it's the finished produ- production car. My car has got a lovely sort of snappy paddle shift action. It does. It does. So that's and all my... thanks to you. Wow. It, yeah, little. I'm quite pleased with that. I'm quite. Pl- yeah, that's my tiny, almost insignificant contribution to that car. Yeah, so you should be. Um, but the, so we were basically there to have a think about the chassis and it was clear that there was this, you know, lovely supple fluid ride going on. Um, but the steering was nowhere near finished and it it made me realize actually having, you know, driving the car then and driving the car now, how important, I mean, it seems obvious, but they hadn't finished the steering calibration and it just made the whole car feel numb and sort of inert and un- uninteresting to drive. Yeah. Um, and j- just by improving the steering, they you know yeah. they unlocked all that amazing potential in that wonderful chassis. Yeah, but it's the, it's the primary interface, isn't it, between man and machine? And um, yeah. and yeah, yeah. Pe- it, it surprises me how often people don't get that. Uh, even things like you know the steering wheel itself, its size, its thickness, how squidgy the rim is. Um, you know, if you think about, you know, that's basically where the feel of the car comes through. And and you know, to get that wrong just strikes me as being, you know, fun. You know, people who get that wrong can't have thought very hard about what drivers really, really want. Because if they had, and if they'd been drivers themselves, they just wouldn't have done it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, that, that was my first experience of the the A110, and you know. Uh, pretty underwhelmed by it but I, I suspected there was a load of potential and most importantly i loved what the guys were setting out to achieve with the car i loved the whole philosophy behind it um and you know ultimately even though i didn't think much of the car then i think i'd bought into it already wow and then you did literally yeah literally bought into it yeah. Oh, there I we mean, go. Just, I mean, I was just going to say, I mean, it must be. I mean, I've I've done development drives, but I've never seen a car through at sort of various different phases. Um, I think, and I think the only thing that I, the, the, the only claim to fame I, ha- I, I, I have, which is which is rather less um, wonderful than yours, is I think I got the seat runners of the original XK8 extended by about a <laughs> centimetre. 
because I wasn't very comfortable in it. And they said, all right, we'll try and make it a bit longer. Um, and that's it. But yeah, I mean, actually, when I get to do that sort of stuff, and it's the behind the scenes stuff, you, A, you kind of appreciate just how good engineers are and just what rough raw material they they get to work with. Um, and also, I just feel sort of privileged that you can get to see all this sort of stuff. It's, it's relentlessly fascinating to me. Yeah, peer, peer behind the curtain. It's, it, yeah. it was, it was a super, really, really cool thing to do. I was very lucky. Um, well, there you go. That kind of wraps up our, our combined potted car ownership history. A good mix of stuff in there, though. Some, some real cheap old snotters and a handful of, you know, slightly more top-endy stuff as well. Yeah, but you know the, the, the price paid and the enjoyment have are, are, are not related to each other at all. In fact, sometimes I begin to think they, they may be in inverse proportion. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you might well be right there. Oh, that was that was good fun. I loved hearing your old yeah. stories of you know knocking around in in old stuff and incidents and accidents and so on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, we'll leave that one there. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, and please remember to rate the podcast leave a review as well wherever you get them that's that really does help us and subscribe as well um and make sure you're back next week uh to listen into the next one andrew and i will have a think about what we should talk about um but in the meantime andrew thank you for your time thank you dan i've really really enjoyed that that was good fun cheers all the best the drive nation podcast with dan prosser and andrew frankel Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.